Welcome to the What We Lost podcast. As a member of We Charities Board of Directors, Tafik Rangwala had a front row seat to the CSSG controversy as it unfolded. It was emotional and frustrating as accusations were leveled at the organization, and no one seemed to care that they weren't true. Laying bare any perceived biases, Tafik reveals what was behind his decision to write what we lost about what really happened and how he left no stone unturned to get to the truth. I'm Martin Luther King III, and this is the What We Lost podcast. Introduction This is the story of a scandal. It ran in parallel with the COVID pandemic and quickly became one of the most covered news stories in Canada. The scandal almost brought down the government of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and caused the collapse of Canada's largest and most successful homegrown children's charity. The media gave it a name, the We Charity Scandal. If you are a consumer of Canadian news, you've heard of it. And if you were exposed to some of the 125,000 references to the scandal in articles, podcasts, documentaries, and nightly broadcasts, you may be inclined to think you already know everything there is to know. But you would be wrong, because there's a lot the media decided to leave out, and the politicians refused to reveal. And a great deal of what happened behind the scenes has never been reported. As a result, even today, few people have a firm grip on exactly who was scandalized and who did the scandalizing. As a member of We Charity's Board of Directors, I had a front row seat to the scandal as it unfolded and a backstage pass. The experience was jarring and emotional and it left me drained. That's because while many troubling accusations were leveled against the charity and its co-founders, Craig and Mark Hilberger, it didn't seem to matter to most people whether the accusations were true. Screaming headlines and political soundbites left Canadians with the impression that there was something wrong with the organization, even if few could explain precisely what it was. Many people, including my family, my friends, even my local barber, quickly formed strong views, the kind that are hard to dispel. My efforts to encourage people to separate fact from fiction often fell flat. So by early 2021, I had pretty much thrown in the towel on setting the record straight. I certainly wasn't looking to write this book. That all changed at 8.38 p.m. on March 27, 2021. It was a Saturday night, and I had just started watching a movie, a comedy, to lighten things up after a long week when my phone vibrated. I probably shouldn't have checked it, but I did. It was an email from Mark Kilberger and it quickly altered my mood 
because there was nothing funny about it. Attached to the email was a nine-page letter the charity had received that day from lawyers for a Las Vegas-based journalist and former donor. The letter contained a threat. If we charity did not pay him tens of millions of dollars, the journalists would harm the organization by saying highly negative things about it in the press. If the charity paid him off, however, he would be silent and leave everyone alone. I was stunned. I couldn't believe what I was reading. It was not just that a journalist was trying to bankrupt a children's charity, but that the very same journalist had only a month earlier been rolled out as a start witness before a parliamentary ethics committee looking into we. There he offered incendiary testimony that was in equal parts emotional, heartbreaking, and false. And it fueled misperceptions that linger to this day. Naturally, the charity refused to pay and made the letter public. I assumed that at last an uproar would follow. Newspapers that had reported the journalist's testimony on their front pages would walk it all back and focus, finally, on telling the complete story about we. And politicians who had made strident speeches based on what he'd said would now express regret or be called out for failing to do so. None of that happened. There was only silence. And it spoke loudly to me. But I've already gotten ahead of myself. As a lawyer, I feel compelled to start with disclosures. So let me begin by saying that I've known the co-founders of We Charity since they were young. I went to high school in Toronto with Mark Kilberger and met his younger brother, Craig, long before he became a household name. Although I've known them since the mid-1990s when they founded Free the Children, the predecessor to We Charity, I moved to New York in 2002 to start my law career and thus watched their meteoric rise from a distance. But I knew that they were busily saving the world, building schools in Africa and South America, hosting star-studded events that celebrated youth empowerment and promoting volunteerism through service learning programs in schools. I also knew that people were flocking to their cause and that the charity was being praised far and wide. So when they asked if I would be interested in joining the board in 2017, I was deeply honored and didn't hesitate to say yes. My first few years as a director were a whirlwind. The Kilbergers and the entire WE management team brought a disruptive energy to the charitable world. They moved and grew in a manner that left me breathless. Every board meeting was a flurry of ideas, innovations, and out-of-the-box plans. It was daunting, but I loved it. When attending We Day celebrations, educator meetings, and lectures at the We Global Learning Center in downtown Toronto, I had the opportunity to talk to scores of young people who were using We Charity as a springboard 
for social activism. I also traveled to the charity's international development projects in Kenya, where I witnessed firsthand how education, clean water, and income generation programs were changing lives. Those years were awe-inspiring and made me feel incredibly proud. Then things went south, really far south. The roots of the We Charity scandal lie in the liberal government's fateful decision to task the organization with administering a program called the Canada Student Service Grant, CSSG. As envisioned, the CSSG was to pay post-secondary students to work at nonprofits during the summer of 2020. In those early days of pandemic fear and economic uncertainty, when summer job options were scarce. The program was intended to help up to 100,000 students, many from diverse or marginalized backgrounds, pay for university and get through a tough time. In the end, though, the CSSG never happened and no one got a dime. It imploded within weeks because opposition politicians alleged cronyism. This ignited a political and media firestorm, with We Charity unwittingly taking center stage. The frenzy initially focused on whether some quid pro quo was in play. But for politicians looking to bring down a government, a story about awarding a contract to a trustworthy nonprofit was not sufficiently scandalous. A compelling story required We Charity to be a bad actor. The worse we looked, the worse the Trudeau government's judgment in choosing we. And so it went. In the weeks and months that followed, every aspect of the charity's mission, work, partnerships, and governance was placed under a microscope. Everything the organization had ever done became fodder for scrutiny, and eventually suspicion and scorn. Politicians, pundits, and journalists piled on with a barrage of criticisms that left the charity reeling and its supporters ducking for cover. I watched it all from the inside and have never seen anything quite like it. The Kilbergers, who had for decades been placed on a pedestal by Canadian society and the media, were knocked back down to earth in a ferocious fashion they went from collecting accolades to receiving death threats. And We Charity went from national treasure to toxic brand, seemingly overnight. In the end, Trudeau and his government survived. We Charity in Canada did not. And yet, even after the charity announced it was shutting its doors, the scrutiny continued and even intensified, transitioning to an ever-broadening range of concerns. Issues sprang up at a relentless pace, and opposition politicians called for investigations by eight government agencies or committees. Quarterly board meetings became weekly and then daily. Questions were raised about the charity's real estate holdings, its relationship with its me-to-we social enterprise partner, its governance and workplace culture, its corporate partnerships, 
and its international development projects. And it all came to a head in accusations that the charity had engaged in a pattern of deceiving donors about how their money was spent. I've heard others refer to it as a deluge or a perfect storm. For me, the whole experience brought back childhood memories of the carnival game Wacamo. That's the one where as soon as you hit one mole over the head, another one pops up. Quickly smash it down and two more pop up. Pretty soon, it becomes a frantic effort to keep hitting moles, knowing full well that they're going to pop up more quickly than you can react. In this case, with every new mole that emerged, the public discourse became more convoluted and confused, and no one was prepared to give We Charity the benefit of the doubt. To this day, everything about We Charity remains a thorny subject of debate. But what do people really know? Not a lot, it turns out. Journalists raised loads of questions, often in partnership with politicians and fringe social media players, but almost no effort was made to provide the public with answers. Most people just assumed that where there was smoke, there was fire. But in the hundreds of conversations I've had with Canadians from all walks of life, very few have been able to articulate what they think We Charity or the Killburgers actually did wrong. I don't fault anyone for being confused. I was puzzled too. With every unexpected twist and turn, I experienced a wide range of emotions, frustration, shock, anger, embarrassment, and helplessness. Some news made me bury my head in my hands. Some made me throw my hands in the air and some just made me shake my head in disbelief. It was overwhelming, but also cause for introspection. Was I part of an innovative and transformative organization that I had come to cherish, or had I drunk the Kool-Aid and unknowingly become part of something sinister and deceitful? If we charity and the Killburgers were not above board, they did not deserve my service or respect and were not going to get either one. But if there was nothing nefarious going on, I could not stand by and watch an organization that had been an important part of the Canadian social fabric for 25 years unravel based on innuendo and misinformation. So I looked under every rock to get to the truth. I interviewed students, teachers, we employees, and board members, donors, community members served by the organization in developing countries, journalists, corporate partners, celebrity ambassadors, lawyers, and experts on topics such as charity law, corporate governance, accounting, lobbying, media, and culture, international development, philanthropy, and parliamentary process. Interviews no one else has done. I watched all of the parliamentary testimony and every television broadcast and documentary, often multiple times, and read thousands of articles and social media posts. 
I also studied audit reports and interviewed forensic accountants who had mined the Kilbergers' personal finances and real estate transactions, even imaging their phones and laptops and examining their bank accounts. And I reviewed countless studies on Wee's impact domestically and internationally, its workplace culture, its real estate holdings and strategy, and its financials. Most importantly, I asked plenty of hard questions of the Kilbergers and Wee management. I insisted on complete access to any internal Wee charity or me to Wee document I wanted to see, including thousands of emails and financial records. Nothing was off limits, and I was never refused anything. This book is an invitation to see what my investigation revealed. My goal is to cut through the noise and fog and address common misconceptions by offering up facts and context. I take you inside the rooms where it happened and reveal what went on behind the scenes, including the stories the media and politicians refused to tell and the voices they refused to hear. In many ways, this is the story of the storytellers, of whether it was fair for members of parliament to use their pulpits to attack We Charity for political gain, of whether trusted media outlets acted with integrity and professionalism, of whether we will told the truth or led astray. Let me also be clear about what this book is not. It is not a blind defense of We Charity or the Kilbergers. They made mistakes. There's blame to be shared, and I do not shy away from revealing the missteps and taking stock. I also spend time unpacking the brothers' personal story to try to explain why, in my view, so many Canadians found it easy to regard them with suspicion. I will be the first to admit that they are hard to relate to. They started a global nonprofit as kids, act like entrepreneurs rather than charity workers, project a level of sincerity and do-gooderism that can feel performative to some, and enjoyed a celebrity status that did not fit with traditional notions of Canadian volunteerism. This lack of relatability, in my estimation, has a lot to do with how quickly negative perceptions of them took hold. Even though I am no longer on the We Charity board, I'm still an insider, and this is an insider perspective. I have also donated to We, and at one point my law firm represented the charity in a potential trademark dispute. That insider status may tempt you to discount the credibility of this work. I urge you, however, to refrain from rushing to judgment. My agenda is not to redeem we or the Kilbergers in anyone's eyes. I ask only that you examine the evidence, hear the perspectives of those who were excluded, and be a proverbial fly on the wall in rooms to which you did not previously have access. I think what you will learn will surprise you. It certainly did me. 
And I suspect that a fresh look will cause you to view politics, the media, and the ways in which these institutions interact to shape narratives and public perceptions with concern. As I wrote this book, I was frequently reminded of an adage commonly attributed to Dr. Seuss. Sometimes the answers are simple and the questions are complicated. In the chapters ahead, you will find previously untold answers to the key questions at the heart of the We Charity scandal. And I think you will find the adage holds true. Were the Kilbergers really buddies with Trudeau and the liberal government? And even if they were, did those relationships have anything to do with the CSSG? Is there any truth to the claims that we engaged in suspect real estate transactions or that the Kilbergers somehow lined their pockets through the charity? Is there any reason to believe that children, teachers, volunteers, donors, or staff were manipulated or used for some ennoble purpose? Is there any proof that donors to international programs were deceived by the charity? And what do the donors themselves actually think? And perhaps most significantly, did we charity ever break any laws or harm anyone? What if I told you the answer to all these questions is no? And yet, as bad as the misinformation and political gamemanship was, the most disturbing part of this whole affair for me is that no politician or journalist ever reflected on what has been lost as a result of the attack on We Charity. Nothing has been said about the millions of Canadian young people who will no longer benefit from the charity's programming in over 7,000 schools across the country. Nothing about the loss of initiatives relating to mental health, suicide prevention, and cyberbullying. Nothing about the thousands of teachers who relied on We School's resources to inspire their students to be engaged citizens. Nothing about the entrepreneurs who are going to change the world by starting socially conscious businesses with the support of We. And most upsetting of all, barely a mention anywhere of the hundreds of thousands in the developing world, particularly women and children, who will now go without access to education, clean water, and small business initiatives. It's been easy for many people to fall into the trap of thinking the attack on We Charity impacted just an amorphous entity or two individuals. Seen that way, the losses even if unjustified, do not seem profound. But we is not just a name on a building or a school, nor is it simply two brothers named Kilberger. It's a collection of people who have devoted their lives to helping children and those in need and millions more who have been impacted around the world. You can't talk about what has been lost, however, if you don't appreciate what you had. Of all the phrases that became part of our common vocabulary during the COVID pandemic, perhaps none was more ubiquitous than your own mute. That, in essence, was the experience of most supporters and beneficiaries of We Charity throughout this scandal. 
Their voices were silenced or ignored because they did not fit the narrative the politicians and reporters wanted to tell. In what is perhaps the most salient example, the CBC's Fifth Estate aired two highly critical documentaries about the charity that didn't include the perspectives of teachers or students who had participated in We Charity programs. The two key groups the organization served for a quarter century. It still boggles my mind that the country's national public broadcaster in the middle of a pandemic that created profound strain and dislocation for teachers and students could simply disregard them. And then, to compound that era, the Fifth Estate team went all the way to Kenya to visit the charity's projects and failed to feature even a single community member or beneficiary of Wee's work in their shows. In this book, I do what the CBC and the Canadian media as a whole never did, give space to the voices that have not been heard. You will hear the perspectives of current and former staff, youth volunteers, students, teachers, parents, donors, large and small, and Kenyan women educated in international WE schools and trained in empowerment centers. Hearing them now is necessary, in my view, to determine whether the collateral damage of this political scandal was justified and whether we should be satisfied with how things turned out. But I want to do more than simply set the record straight about We Charity or the scandal itself, because I believe the story is about much more than that. It is representative of broader societal currents that should be of great relevance and concern to us all. The currents matter to Canadians, to be sure, but they also matter to people everywhere. And they should matter to you, even if you never donated a dollar to the charity or participated in any of its programming. To me, the downfall of We Charity in Canada drove home the realization that it's not easy to be different. There's a lot packed into that sentence. We was always different. So were the brothers who founded it, and the young people who benefited most from it. When you're on the upswing, difference is often celebrated, and uncommon ways of doing things are regarded as fresh or innovative. But when you are down on your luck or are seen as flying too close to the sun, difference invites suspicion. It makes you a target, and whether it's on playgrounds, in newsrooms, or on the steps of Parliament Hill, Bullies love to prey on difference. As an organization, We Charity was different because it fused charitable work with entrepreneurship. It saw socially-minded enterprise as part of the solution to the world's problems, and it thought a charity should be run with the same intensity as a business. That impressed a lot of people but it was also easy to label it as confusing or suggest there was something shady about mixing commerce and charity. We did not behave the way some people thought a charity should. To those who didn't understand the organization or didn't want to, it was convenient to call it a sham. The Kilbergers are different too. 
The brothers built their charity from a cottage industry into a global movement with millions of followers by working nonstop and doing little else. They are not guys you relax and have a beer with. It was easy for admirers to see them as visionaries and just as easy for detractors to portray them as not being on the level because they are not like you and me. They must be up to something. Many of the young people who embraced the message of we were different too. They were not usually the captain of the football team or the prom queen. They were not the cool kids, but they found a way to be cool through we because the organization celebrated being different and made that something to be proud of. As a board member, I believed that the differences embodied in and championed by We Charity and the Killburgers were always cause for celebration. Those differences were in sync, I thought, with the ethos of diversity that is a core part of Canadian identity. And they allowed a homegrown charity to expand across the globe and serve as an inspiration to countless other nonprofits and social enterprises. It was innovation and exceptionalism of a variety not often seen in Canada. As you read this book, it is worth reflecting on whether our elected representatives and media nurtured these differences as we might have hoped or exploited them to serve their purposes. The demise of We Charity in Canada also serves as a cautionary tale about the consequences of increased political polarization and hyper-partisanship. I see more clearly now that Canadian politics has become Americanized to a far greater extent than I realized. Having lived and practice law in the U.S. for two decades. I am no stranger to partisan politics and the reality that some people just end up as roadkill in the age of social media and the 24-hour news cycle. As Canadians, however, we've long been fond of trumpeting how our public discourse is more civilized and contemplative than that of our Southern neighbors. We have to ask ourselves if that is really true anymore. Throughout this affair, the impunity with which legislators on all sides of the spectrum trafficked in lies and stoked public outrage to serve their own short-term goals suggests that many have now firmly embraced the politics of anything goes. And far from being a check on the worst instincts of politicians, the media instead proved to be a willing accomplice. The speed and ferocity with which the press shredded We Charity and the Killburgers was shocking. So was the degree to which certain reporters I had previously held in high regard seemed willing to abandon their integrity and journalistic standards to create stories where there really were none to tell. Mainstream news outlets blasted out whatever negative narrative critics chose to offer. Without much in the way of independent fact-checking or investigation, even when information was readily available, one day's tweet became the next day's headline, and back and forth it went. 
in a vicious cycle that became an echo chamber. Instead of critically challenging narratives and assumptions, media outlets simply piled on in the attack. It didn't surprise me that certain journalists lit the fuse, but I was surprised that no one else attempted to stamp it out. I try to unpack how and why this occurred and what it means for all of us. The avalanche of negative media coverage and political hysteria that engulfed We Charity also brought with it a climate of fear. Supporters were reluctant to speak out, and those who did were subjected to harassment or ridicule. It is telling that even after all this time, so many people were willing to talk to me about all that we has meant to them, but were hesitant to do so on the record. Many donors and educators eventually felt compelled to speak out loudly to oppose what they saw as unethical and irresponsible journalism. But I still feel deeply for those who gave so much to we, or got so much out of it, and yet remain apprehensive about airing their feelings. I hope this book helps them turn the page. In the end, I leave it to you, the reader, to assess whether the story the public was told about We Charity Scandal truthfully identified the real victims and the real villains, whether what has been lost is justifiable, and whether the real scandal is the one perpetrated on us all. Thank you for listening. You can download more episodes of What We Lost wherever you get your podcast. To learn more about Tafik Rangwala's national bestseller or to buy the book, visit whatwelost.com and discover the real story behind the CSSG controversy.